Hi, and welcome to the Bits and Trees podcast. I'm your host, Matt Machuga, and today I'm joined by the creator of SoftStuff.Tools, consulting CTO, my former CTO at Think Through Math, and all-around great human, Jim Rubel. Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you? <laughs> you like that intro? I do like that intro. <laughs> I like to praise. I, I've been called a lot worse in my day. <laughs> I can't believe that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, up until about 2016, I was the CTO of Think Through Math, um, where we spent many a year together. Um, you know, great organization um, was acquired in, in 2016, and all of us have since moved on as 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 we do. Um, and I have taken a, a part-time role doing um, kind of fractional CTO. So organizations that are startups, organizations that don't necessarily consider technology to be their core business, uh, don't necessarily need a full-time CTO. So you can pay by the hour and have that type of capability brought into your organization and as a, a partner and part of your executive team. Um, so it's great. Uh, I do that part-time. The other time, I'm a stay-at-home dad uh, while my wife goes off and conquers the universe. So it works out really well. So what's, what's the life of a consulting CTO like? Do you, do you have enough time to integrate with the business or do you mostly like just kind of fly by and nudge them in the right technical direction? Um, I, this is a metaphor that I use a lot. There's an old show called Quantum Leap where oh. the hero essentially leaps into a situation completely disconnected from whatever he was doing before and has to solve the mystery, has to figure out what's wrong, set it right, and then leaps on. And that's a pretty good parallel for what goes on here. Um, you may get involved in a very technical architectural discussion um, because they're trying to build some new business. Um, you may need to write a job description for a product manager or help them build out a, you know, a technical team. Um, you may have to help them run an RFP for some particular software acquisition. Uh, it varies, and you don't get to pick, right? They, you get the call, and today we're writing job descriptions, and tomorrow we might be evaluating some Python scripts, you know? You never can tell. And that's, that's great and sometimes terrible, um, but it's actually a lot of fun. So let's work backwards a step from there. So yeah. you were the CTO at Think Through Math. How did all that come about? Um, you know, before I started, before um, the yep. team that we we speak of in <laughs> in, in the praise. beginning. Yes. Yes. Uh, prior to that, I was um, a, I had built a line of business at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. It's a federally funded R and D center, um, and this was centered on cybersecurity education. So we were teaching. Um, Marines and FBI agents how to deal with cybersecurity issues, uh, which was really cool. The totally, you know, in a totally different way, very different than teaching kids math. Um, but you know, you know, a great program. Um, this was we're kind of going back now into um, the war in Afghanistan and in Iraq, uh, where you know we had service members deployed overseas and they have to manage technology. They have to manage cybersecurity infrastructure. Um, but the military really likes to rotate people through different divisions. So the person who's now managing your firewall may very well have been a carpenter. 
yeah, fire, a firewall is a very specialized thing. So you got to go to training classes. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that they had is you're deployed, you're in Afghanistan, and you got to take a Cisco training class. Uh, so you're going to get in Humvee and you're going to drive to at best Kabul. You're going to you know you're going to drive across the desert to Kabul to go take a training class. And these people were getting killed. Um, they were getting ambushed left and right. Um, in 2005, 2006 or so, we lost more service members to training than we lost in actual combat. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they were, they were just getting crushed, you know. Um, so we basically just pushed all that material online and pushed it to them so that they could take those training classes in the safety of their own facilities and do that. Um, and it, it worked out really well. The program still exists and it was a heck of a lot of fun, but you kind of get to a point where you're like, well, what's next? Um, so I had kind of said, well, you know, what is next? And this is like funniest story. I was sitting in uh, a barbershop waiting to get a haircut and picked up the local Pittsburgh magazine. And there was an article on like 10 hot Pittsburgh startups to watch. And I'm like thumbing through it, like this is, is going to be garbage, you know, who knows. And one of them was what was, you know, at the time, Apangia Learning, the former name of the company. And I'm like, well, it's learning, you know, I, I know learning. <laughs> so, so I get out of there and I'm like, we just go look the URL up. And they had a CTO job offer, like a, a posting. Um, and I'm like, boy, I don't know, you know. I I'm I'm coming from I'm you know I'm I'm a manager I'm running a six or seven million dollar program so I know I can lead a team I know I can build product and things like that but CTO is that's a magic title right but then I'm looking at it and like there's at least twelve typos in this job description <laughs> so <laughs> like I'm 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 three quarters of the way through and I'm at twelve so. And I did what any sane developer would do. I viewed source, as you do. <laughs> like, oh, you know, Meta Generator Visual Studio 6.0. Ooh, nice. Like, oh, yeah, this is 2011. Um, but um, I, I thought about it and, like, I can fix that. <laughs> you know, this, isn't, this is a solvable problem. So... You know, throw what's the worst case scenario? Throw a resume out there, um, and it turns out they had a really great story. They were coming out of a rough patch. Um, you know, they had a new management team together, and I actually got pretty excited about it and the idea of being able to build something in an industry that I care about, in an, you know, in an education industry that I care about. Luckily, got the job. Um, immediately rolled into the reality of the job, which was that that Visual Studio 6.0 was indicative of kind of where the organization was technically. Um, They had two full-time technical staff in a company of, I guess at the time, like 50. They had one full-time developer and one person who did IT what we now refer to sometimes as DevOps and other times not, like whatever that is, you know, platform stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) one developer and one person who did anything that had a button on it. Um, So, and then a bunch of contractors. So I said, all right, 
we're going to give this a year. Um, in education, the the product cycle, you know, a lot of a lot of organizations will release as soon as they can. In education, there's some value in releasing with the school year because um, you don't want to disrupt class. You don't want to change a lot of stuff on your customers. So, all right, well, let's just give it from August to August, and we'll just see how the current platform and the current team goes. Um, and you know, it didn't go so well. <laughs> so here we are. Um, yeah, we had um, the the platform was as you would expect from a startup. Uh, you know, built uh, the the culmination of a bunch of startup experiments. It was, hey, we think there's money in selling directly to parents, so let's build out a bunch of code and infrastructure for that. And there's over here, there's this other failed experiment, and there's three tables that hold questions, you know, for some reason, and just a whole bunch of nonsense. Um, and so I kind of looked at it and the thing that got me, well, several things kind of got me that, okay, maybe we're going to have to make some drastic changes here was, um, I pulled up, uh, the source control. I'm like, all right, I want to kind of piece through the code. I want to start from the homepage and follow a user's journey in code so that I understand what's going on here. So mm -hmm. this was .NET as, you know, as you do, um, and so I pulled up index.aspx because that's where you start, right? That's, that's where everyone starts in the .NET world. And I'm like, wow, this doesn't, make, this doesn't match what I'm seeing on the web at all. This is really strange. So I asked you know, the only developer that was there, like, is this, the, is this what I'm looking at? And he says, no, 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 you're in the wrong spot. Um, you want to do index2.aspx. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. We have source control, correct? <laughs> Am I correct in that fact? He's like, yes, but we were worried about using the same file name and something might be referencing. So this is index two, and it's just that's just we're we're index two now. It's one better. Yeah. So index two final. yeah. So that was that was the start of my journey towards. Um, eventually uh, burning the data model in the alley behind the building in a symbolic uh, gesture of releasing it to the wild and starting the new thing. What led to uh, the rewrite that came after that? Yeah, so, so I kind of come to the realization that we needed to start roughly from scratch. Um, and I had sort of greased with uh, the CEO. I talked to the CEO and I talked to the rest of the senior leaders about the idea that, hey, there's some challenges here. And, you know, we, we have grand dreams. We want to scale. Um, this platform can't even run a report on the state of Idaho. And you're talking about much, much larger usage. Um, so there are some real problems here, and we're going to have to change. Um, so I got some buy-in on that. Um, and so I set about thinking, like, well, we're going to have to build a team first. Um, and the one thing that did... Um, I did take away pretty early on that I think is valuable uh, in this and any role when you're talking about leading, leading change and, and building a team is the idea of like get the right people on the bus. And so I had to hire someone who knew how to be an architect in this outdated platform 
and so I went down that path for a couple of months. I, you know, we, we posted a job description, we interviewed, and we hired a recruiter, and we brought in a bunch of people, and they were just uninspiring. Just uninspiring people, pro, you know, technically, I'm sure, competent for what we were trying to do, but uninspiring individuals. And, and so kind of flashing back to my time at Carnegie Mellon, um, where we were also using Microsoft technologies, because again, that's what you did and government and all of that stuff. We hired an intern uh, who was an under, who's a, a finishing up an undergraduate at Carnegie Mellon. And we'd asked the intern to kind of build out some individual functionality, but you know, we're a small team and we didn't really have a ton of specifications. So we sort of gave him loose direction and he decided because he was interested in it to model this stuff in Ruby on Rails, a technology at the time I had not heard of. Um, and so I had a pretty good sense from my, you know, at the time, maybe 15 years of, of software of about how long it takes to build a new entity in a .NET world. Like, you know, this, this takes a couple of weeks to pull things together and you got to do sort of procedures and all this stuff. And this kid was like, you know, in the afternoon, he's like, hey, do you, what do you think about this? You know, and he had this thing all coded out. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I'm like, yeah, that looks good. Can you now do it in the language we actually use? <laughs> and so he would take, you know, weeks to go and do it in .NET. <laughs> and then the next time he would show up and he'd be like, so I built this in a couple of hours. Is this what you want? And I'm like, actually, yes. <laughs> now can you do it in a real language? <laughs> and and so this went on like a whole summer and then he went on and did his thing. But that sort of stuck with me that like, wow, what the heck was that? You know, what was he doing in his cave over there with this thing where stuff came out in you know, hours instead of weeks? Mm-hmm. And so I got to the point where I'm like, I'm very dissatisfied with these architects. And I'm, I had started personally kind of based on that little spark personally investigating Ruby and investigating Rails and had some, you know, heard, kind of gotten a sense of it myself. And at that point I said, this is actually my call. Like, I don't have to run this by anybody. I don't, I'm not beholden to anybody. (laughs) I can just change. I can just decide to flip the table and be like, you know what? No, we're not going to, we're not going to continue this job search for a mediocre.net architect we're going to rebuild this platform and so i threw it all in the garbage and started over and posted a uh, you know an architect level ruby on rails job not having any idea what i would find and had to you know of course leverage a recruiter um and at the same time started looking around for are there outsourced firms who could you know maybe do this work um, and at that point, um, two things came together. One, the resume of Carol Nichols showed up and she had just come off and had everything I was looking for and more, you know, immediately the right person and obvious that it was the right person. And I found a development shop in Atlanta called High Groove that was specifically saying like, are you a startup CTO who's trying to get <laughs> functionality off the ground quickly? We have a bunch of people who are Ruby on Rails developers who are really good at that. And all of that stuff came together 
and you, you can kind of say like, wow, look at the cosmic or luck that comes together, but you sort of make that, right? You mm -hmm. make a decision and then you go and try to solve that problem. I think our hiring practices at TTM, at least compared to what I've seen in other positions, is yeah. pretty unique and it usually fared very well for us. Um, can you kind of walk through how the hiring evolved there, um, what our final process yeah. was and why you think it works so well? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I had, I mainly, I drew a lot, you know, ironic sense from the hiring practice that we had at Carnegie Mellon, um, which is very much rooted in PhD dissertation defense, <laughs> but wow. you don't think about it. Yeah, like so at Carnegie Mellon, they have a longstanding tradition of having uh, people come in and give a presentation. Like they, you know, it's a teaching institution, so they're looking for teachers. Um, and I think I took that with me largely, you know, not even understanding what that could mean from a hiring perspective, um, just because I had seen it and I had seen it work, you know, fairly well. Um, but as it turns out, um, a couple of things that were key to me, one, the think through learning was, uh, it's an education company. So you should be passionate about teaching in general to be successful because we want people who are tied to the mission. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, I read this at one point, and it's always stuck with me since it's, you know, several years after all of this, but the idea of, um, you know, bringing people a sense of purpose, not a sense of urgency, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, you can only crack a whip so, so hard on people. Like they will, they will work as fast as they can, but that's, that only goes so far and it burns people out. And we see people changing jobs and what the average tenure in this industry is like 18 months. Um, because people just get that whole, like, we got to crank, you know, feature factory, we got to crank this stuff out. But if you can actually bring a sense of purpose to an organization, like why are we doing what we're doing? the drive to succeed and the drive to help the user and the drive to make the business successful comes from inside. And you can't teach that. You can't force that on anybody when you have it. It's beautiful. Uh, but you can't, you can't push that. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of recruiting for including teaching in our process as a teaching organization helps self-select for people who are uh, naturally in, you know, connected to our purpose. Right. Uh, and so that was really, really cool. Um, but the, the, te the teach us something, take 30 mm -hmm. minutes and just teach us something that you're passionate about uh, turned out to be a really strong predictor of success. And I think part of that is just passion. Hiring people who are passionate. It doesn't really matter about what, but you're bringing something to the table that you're passionate about make somebody a good contributor, you know, technically and as a, a as part of your team, but also as, you know, part of a, a you know, a, a family of, of sorts, you know, that, you know, we all have, we all bringing something new to the table. It brings us, if not, um, if not as much uh, diversity, as like diversity of thought, if not actual mm -hmm. diversity, not as much actual diversity as I would have wanted. I think there was a, there's a notable turning point when we were starting the presentations. I think we got maybe two or three in, and then somebody gave a presentation that it was good, but it was about the uh, AMPQ protocol. Yep. And 
we got through it and everybody just kind of sat there after the candidate left. We're like, we should probably not do technical interviews or technical uh, talks anymore. It turned into more of like they were trying to teach us about a technical topic versus teaching us about something they're passionate about. And I think the ones that stand out to me, the ones that we wound up hiring, we had somebody give a, a henna tattoo, somebody yep. talk about coffee, somebody talk about time travel, the topics that they got real interested in. And they, they broke through that shell of I'm trying to get a job and kind of transition to the, like, I'm talking about something I love. Yep. Those were incredible talks. And like you said, I think it showed their character. I think it showed the promise that um, was sitting there. And, you know, just to point out, we did not just do this. We we did have the first, like, you know. Yeah, this was the second step. We had a fairly traditional first round of interviews. We were trying to make, you know, trying to get a sense of someone's skill for the role. Um, mm-hmm. the, thing that, the thing that I most loved about that moment that you described where we said, you know what, this isn't working for us, is one, we said this isn't working for us, so we should change it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that... So many organizations, you know, so I've been part of and so many that I, I see never get to that step where like, wait a minute, this isn't working, so we shouldn't do it. Right. It's like that, that alone is such a magic moment in, in a team's and an organization's um, experience that, and, and a lot of organizations just never get there. Um, but the other thing that I thought was, um, that was really neat about that specific moment is I didn't have to say like, this isn't working for me. You know, I'm the boss and you should change. We did that together. And I, that was one thing I'm I'm extremely proud of is that, you know, there are always, you know, some things that a leader has to do that only they can do, but we steered the ship collectively and it wasn't, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I ever had to force anybody to get better or to improve or to make a change or to make a decision. We self-organized. And that too is, is pretty rare and it's very special. And I think that gets, that becomes a, a virtuous cycle in that hiring process where people who are passionate about their subject and are committed to self-improvement and teaching and learning that all feeds in itself. So they're going to go and you're going to, you're going to figure out like, this isn't working for us, so let's change it. And that was, that was beautiful. It was, it was a great, a great time in my life. I, I love, I can say every moment of it, hypothetically, you know, like we, we had our, our struggles getting through it, oh, but sure. all that's been washed away by time now. So now I just remember the glory days. <laughs> yep. That's what you want. Yes. So this transitions really well into um, your newest project, uh, the soft stuff. Yeah. Can you kind of talk about the the goals there, um, like why you started it, um, yeah. how it came about? Um, so as a software developer, you know, you get a you get a task like I got can you can you make this this piece of function? Can you make this page? Can you can you add pagination here? Um, this is t- this meth is taking too long thousand records on a screen so can you add that and at the, you know thankfully we're at a point in software engineering where you don't have to write that you can just go and pull it from a library and customize it if you need to and you may need to you know there's parameters you can change but the productivity that we 
collectively across the industry save by not individually having to write pagination libraries across every project ever built is enormous. Like it can't be, it just can't be measured. That's so, that's one of the things that, that amazes me about where software engineering is in 2019 because it hasn't always been this way. Like you used to used to hand roll pagination all the time and, and now you don't have to do that and that's so much better. And so when, when you get into management though, there's nothing. There's nothing for you. You are rolling your own pagination, management equivalent of pagination libraries all the time. You are staring at a blank screen looking at like, I got to hire another software engineer and I need a job description and I need all of these things and there's nowhere to go. There's no NPM or, you know, PIP or whatever package, you know, whatever package system you have to go search for and pull down. There's nothing that you can pull in and just customize to get you past that initial sense of like, I have to do this thing. I don't even really know where to start. And I know that I shouldn't be starting from scratch. Like someone has written a job description in the history of the universe. So why am I doing it now? Um, so for me, that was, that, that's kind of been, it was gnawing at me throughout my time as CTO that there's nothing to draw from. And I thought, well, you know, this is a good chance to go and try and make the equivalent, build a library of templates, build a library of knowledge um, to the extent we can um, find open source. You know, management doesn't necessarily have the same idea of code where there's, you know, the, a procedure is not necessarily open source or my management technique isn't necessarily an open source type of a thing. But there's a bit of a parallel because you don't want to necessarily steal someone else's stuff. So that was kind of the genesis of it. Like, let's gather a bunch of resources for people who are new to this, who don't know where to start, um, who don't know how to run a one-on-one -on -one meeting, uh, who don't necessarily know how to do the strategic side. Like they're very competent technically, but they've gone into a management and it's a whole new ball game and they're starting, they're a junior again. And they know what that feels like and they want to get out of that as quickly as they can. So that was kind of the goal is let's just try and get people from that first junior you know, manager, first time manager into something else. Um, and hopefully, you know, people leave jobs because of their manager, not necessarily because they don't like the job. Right. Um, so it's kind of in our collective interest to make better managers if we can. Of the, the resources that you've collected so far, um, what do you think the, the most important things for a first-time manager are to learn quickly? The thing that has always kind of gotten me is like the interpersonal relationships, the fact that it is humans are far more complicated than software. <laughs> as complicated as the software you're working on is, there's far more going into it. Um, being able to figure out people's motivations and help them, help guide them and grow them uh, is, the heart, is the thing that most people don't have any experience with. This mm -hmm. idea of you know, having a meeting with somebody and you're running the agenda and figuring out, you know, what do you want to cover? Um, 
what do you, how are you going to structure that? What are you going to do as a follow-up? You're taking all the action items. Um, these are these are challenging things for a first-time manager to deal with. So getting into that whole interpersonal side and figuring out how to, what can I do to help other people instead of what can I do to help you know this code? How can I mm-hmm. help other people be good at this code? Is it's a change. It's not easy. So I had. Um, a couple episodes ago, I had Derek Pryor from uh, from GitHub on here, and we were talking about like your first couple months as an engineering manager. That initial feeling of um, you know, it's not my job to write the code anymore, so now I have to start peeling myself away. Yep. And while I'm not done with the soft stuff topic, I did I did kind of promise I was going to bring this up on the air. <laughs> there there came a point at TTM where we had to like kind of pull you away from the keyboard and say like, yep. okay. The time has come. <laughs> yes. we, need, we need the other CTO duties done. Um, how was that time period for you? Um, I get. I feel like now that I am starting to collect people's experiences and, and interact with with you know manage other managers and stuff, part of the software community and things, I'm realizing that that's a struggle for everybody. Mm-hmm. That you got to where you are largely by being technically relevant. And um, stepping away from that is like dropping your, it's, you know, it's like a swordsman dropping their sword, right? It's, it's, it's taking away your best skill and making you go do this thing that you aren't necessarily good at. Mm-hmm. And that's tough and that's humbling. And I don't feel like I did it great at the time. I wish that I would have had a network to be able to, talk to to say like i'm gonna step like is this is this okay and the other people say yeah it's fine we all we all have (laughs) everyone has to go through this everyone understands that at some point your job is to make other people better at writing code you are um, what the military calls a force multiplier Mm -hmm. you are making people better at their jobs and that is actually your job right um and so there's a lot of articles about how do you how do you maintain your technical relevance? Because that's what everyone's fearful of. This industry changes so fast that if, if I'm in engineering management for two years and I decide I don't want to do this anymore, am I done? You know, am, I, right. am I useless? Am I on the wrong, wrong side of the wave? Um, you know, how, how, do I, how, how do I even know what GraphQL is, right? Like if I'm a manager, how, do, how is that going to work? Um, and that is, that's very tough. And there's some strategies for it. And I think eventually I started doing on the side um, analytics and things that were not core to the team. But mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're kind of out of everyone's way. The, the people who are doing the most important stuff, don't be in their way. Never, for heaven's sake, don't ever put yourself in a position where they're code reviewing you or you're code reviewing them. Like that's just, that's just not good. So, uh, kind of refocusing, we covered a little bit like what, what a junior manager should know. What about when you've, you've crossed that barrier, you've been an engineering manager for a while. Um, you're starting to step into like the director role or the VP of engineering or even the CTO role. Um, what, what do those transitions look like? Are they, are they more of just 
you touch the code less or do they start becoming more of a business related role? It's, it does end up being more business related. It's like a lead of leads, I think is the magic word. You know, your, your, your role now is even one further removed. You're making sure that you're building the best management layer that you can to make those people (laughs) who are actually doing the work, um, you know, we use the phrase servant leadership a lot, and it's something that's always been important to me. So you're now serving the servant leaders. Um, and that gives you, um, it becomes far more a social skill um, mm-hmm. and far more about um, coaching them through the difficult moments, through the performance improvement plans, through the having to fire somebody, through the um, oh. I got to hire eight people in six months and there's no way, you know, like your, your job is to kind of coach them through that and not in the same way that your job as a senior engineer isn't to, um, when the junior person gets stuck, like move them away and start typing yourself. (laughs) Your job is to get them through it, um, as best you can and, and coach. And then Mm -hmm. the higher you get up, the, the more, the job revolves around your interactions with the other business units, you know, mm-hmm. like finance, sales, um, you know, marketing. Those become far more your day-to-day peers than your own organization. Um, and one of the things that I thought was cha- it was definitely challenging for me is being able to represent the needs of my organization authentically, not oversell them, not undersell them, um, communicate the challenges that we as an organization have to others who don't necessarily understand what this means. Technical mm-hmm. debt, um, you know, why do engineers get paid so much? You know, like all of these things are <laughs> challenging to explain, explain to other organizations, with, you know, other groups within your own organization. Um, and being able to explain, like, you know, here's, here's what we do, here's why we have to do it, here's why you can't have this in two months. Um, those conversations are far more your day-to-day than the architecture and even managing, you know, the, the collective team. If someone is still kind of straddling the line, like maybe they've been a, a manager for a couple of years and the next role that their company has is a director level. Yeah. If they're not sure, you think they should try it or try to make the decision before they get stuck into the role that becomes like budgeting, uh, managing managers, things like that? There was a pretty good article that I saw at one point. It's somewhere in the soft stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> and perhaps we'll post a link to this in whatever uh, format that we can after this is live. We have um, show notes. But it's the idea of um, the pendulum manager. So mm-hmm. it, when you get to a certain point, swinging from, if, you're, you know, if your skill level is, is as such, and I'm, I'm actually one of the reasons I got into management because I'm not actually a great programmer. Um, and so realizing that like, I'm capable of understanding and, and empathizing and leading it, but the first thing that I want to do when I get into a job is hire people who are better than me at programming. Mm-hmm. This idea of if you are truly gifted in both roles, if you're thinking that you might want to do management, um, because it is an extremely rewarding discipline. It is a separate discipline from 
you know, technology, but it is an extremely rewarding one, that there's a pendulum that you can spend two, three, you know, four years doing a director level role um, and then pendulum over to a very, to an architecture, very senior individual contributor role and then go back. Um, obviously it takes a little bit more, you're gonna, you know, you're grabbing the steering wheel of your career a little bit harder than you would if you were just, um, kind of trying to climb an individual ladder, but you can certainly do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, for those who are interested in it, um, it's, it's worth considering that it is not, it is not finality, um, that you do not necessarily have to abandon your technical skill to go and you know be a director, um, you could build, let's say, a community of interest for new managers called SoftStuff.Tools <laughs> in your side. You know, you can do these things. Um, I did. You know, I, that part of you know my goal in doing this was also I want to. Um, oh, so you used the Terminator quote. Uh, I'm going to go Princess Bride here. I have to fight him left-handed. If I fight him right-handed, it will be over too quickly. I get no satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I intentionally built soft stuff using uh, GraphQL. And in this case, you know, Meteor, although that may have been a bad decision in retrospect, but I wanted to use uh, GraphQL somewhere in there because I needed some individual context for it. Um, so it took a, you know, it took longer to build and launch than I might have wanted. Uh, but in the end, you know, you get what it's done and also you've learned something along the way. So if you're fortunate enough to have the time to both, you know, have a job and also have a side, you know, do some things on the side, that's one way to keep yourself relevant for sure. Right. And it helps that our friend Megan uh, Megan Callahan made it look gorgeous. On top of that, it does. Um, knowing knowing your limitations, um, <laughs> I can I can open Photoshop and I can make things, um, but knowing I would say you know again if you're if you are thinking about starting a, a thing you know even if it's a side project, invest some money in someone to help you with branding and visuals. Um, we know this from the sites that we use and the sites that we buy from that, uh, a, a well-designed site feels more authentic. And we know when something's like, eh, this looks pretty cheesy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm going to use it. So I, if, yeah, that is, um, fabulous investment for sure. To kind of start wrapping things up here, you mentioned the pendulum. And the idea that, you know, you could shift over from director to architect. Um, and then you mentioned with the soft stuff, you knew you wanted to try out GraphQL to have that kind of tangible experience. Like when I started off zero, I was, um, I was like blown away at the level of technical engineering that's involved with, with this sort of thing. Uh, the depth of distributed computing that goes on, um, the log transformation pipelines, just everything there. So while I was managing, I was also trying to learn as much of that as I could to absorb it. Um, and I think I was in the right position at the right time where I could do all that. Yeah. There are definitely some some newer technologies that come out that I think are well worth investing in. Um, one that you've always told me and other people um, since it started to emerge is machine learning. So you know, if somebody really wanted to get a feel for it, they could switch from management 
go find an ML job for a little bit, work on that. Um, you know, just to get some experience, whether that's a yeah. great career choice is questionable, but like it is something that could be done. I feel there's, you know, we're definitely in the hype cycle for machine learning, um, which is fine. Um, but I feel like any, any developer, any, any senior individual contributor, developer, any manager in a technical field should have a pretty good understanding of what machine, you know, what machine learning is, what it isn't, because there's a lot of oversold stuff out there, um, and the process, like how it actually works. Um, I took uh, a Udacity course, uh, the you know the the machine learning nano degree, um, and it was pretty good for a couple of months. Um, I got a pretty good hands-on experience. I feel like I walked away with the level of understanding of machine learning that I needed to care about. Mm. Um, um, in fact, like um, I ended up giving a talk at a, a Google developer conference on machine learning um, on my other side project, Beer Goggles, <laughs> um, that, that was you know, pretty good. So I kind of like, I got enough where if I needed to sit down hands on keyboard and like, okay, I'm now doing. I'm now setting the machine learning strategy for our organization. I know enough to know how to go do that, um, or at least you know who who to hire um, individuals or organizations to go do that. And that to me was was very worthwhile. And I, I would I would recommend that anyone who's out there um, pursue at least that level of understanding. Right. Yeah, I think with when you're in engineering management of any sort, I think it's important to be connected enough to understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, just so you understand the pain that the engineers are going through, you understand the business offering, and you understand why that feature hasn't been shipped yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, your your goal is to make them successful in their jobs. Um, a secondary goal, which you you certainly hope doesn't come up but it does occasionally is you know i'm getting i'm getting someone telling me this is going to take 12 weeks am i being played mm-hmm. so yeah you you hope it never happens but boy it's great to be able to pull out and say you know what i call shenanigans mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i call shenanigans <laughs> on that estimate um, right and that's a that's a useful skill to have and that's where, you know, coming from an engineering background, that's why that's why people say it's very difficult to come into this role from ma- just general management, you know, being a transition from a different division or something like that that hasn't worked in technology. Right. Like, I don't have much experience with machine learning, but I will say I am very happy that machine learning is pushing people in computer science and software engineering back into math a little bit because we, <laughs> yes. we could all stand to do better with math. <laughs> Yes, no question. Yeah, um, I as when I first signed up for that machine learning nano degree, the first week's lecture, I had to pause it and I had to go back to Khan Academy and I had to do all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of linear algebra refresh. And like, oh, oh, this is all coming back. It's all coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, thankfully, it's when you think about it, it's the same thing as like a lot of other technical areas where you don't really need to know the guts one 
it helps to know it as a foundational level, but you're not going to interact with them on a day-to-day basis. There's no right. actual linear algebra work in machine learning. Um, thankfully, if, you know, we have open source libraries that deal with that. You know, again, like, um, so that that definitely helps. But it's good to good to know. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about that I may have neglected to bring up? The the thing that I think is is difficult about engineering management that people don't necessarily think about is this idea that your your success in the role is dict is based on other people's success, um, and you'll have a pretty good sense, I think of whether or not that's the right thing for you. If you sit back and think about, you know, is that something that I normally get? Um, is that something that, that makes me happy? Is that something that, um, that I enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's teaching and learning is a big part of management as well. So if you're, if you have those types of, uh, interests, then this might be a good career from you. And, I personally worry that people in technical fields are driven away from management uh, because they feel like they'll lose their technical skills and they'll become the Dilbert boss uh, or, you know, <laughs> um, or, or worse, that um, they'll get into it reluctantly because they feel like there's no career path for them and they don't actually want to do it. So they'll end up doing a bad job. And it's, you know, it, it may be an evil, but it's a necessary evil. And we all have a vested interest in making good managers. So, you know, to the extent that your audience is out there, like, give it a shot. Consider it um, and consider the idea that, you know, you'll get a lot of personal satisfaction out of helping other people achieve their goals. It's really rewarding. Excellent sentiment to end on. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on to chat with me. Um, I don't remember what episode number this is, but the show notes will be available at podcast.bitsandtrees.com. Jim, thanks again. Um, It's been so much fun. Yeah, you as well.